evening, boys and girls, journalists. Welcome to a special episode of Tommy Talk. Today we have special guest, um, Eduardo. He trains out of Pasadena Judo. And the reason we're doing this episode is because they're going to do a joint clinic for the blind out of Hollywood Pal. Uh, so it's Sports and Recreations Clinic for the Blind, and that's going to be held on the 3rd, correct? That's correct. From uh, This is a Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon. All right, great. So what is this? What's this happening? Is this like uh, for beginners and bl- uh, beginner people that are blind that want to get into judo or for judo players that are blind that want to get a practice in? Uh, it is a clinic and uh, the mo- overwhelming majority are complete novices. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, all ages of, of athletes come and this is, I think, our our fourth or fifth clinic now, and some of the participants have come to all of them. So they have mm-hmm. four or five practices under their belt. Okay. And for these people that are novices that just joined, do they get, like, get into it and join a dojo or do they only come to the clinics? Um, how's this working out for you guys? Right now, I think we have uh, athletes who are only uh, interested in well, I won't say that they're only interested, but um, they're only coming to the clinics. One of the challenges we have is the rollout of adaptive judo to individual clubs. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have referred some of our athletes to direct clubs in their vicinity, uh, but most of the time the senseis have no idea what to do with a blind student. Mm-hmm. So we're sort of rolling out where um, we give support to that dojo mm-hmm. and uh, depending on how open they are, most of them have been very, very uh, open to uh, catering to uh, all adaptive type judo athletes. Okay. Um, the blind uh, judoka is easier than for example, some of the special needs uh, that have uh, mental challenges and uh, emotional challenges in that the blind people uh, have, you know, regular mental facilities. They can follow instruction, all that sort of stuff. But there are obviously challenges that the normally sighted people can't ever appreciate unless they've mm-hmm. lost their sight, which is actually the number one health concern for Americans, and that is losing their their vision. Mm-hmm. Now, you speak about adaptive judo. Now, for our audience out there that doesn't know what that is, what is adaptive judo? Adaptive judo is a movement that uh, changes the practice of judo to suit different categories of people. So under adaptive judo, we might have, again, the uh, mentally uh challenge individuals with what we used to call special needs judo. They would be people who have Down syndrome, uh, cerebral palsy, uh, even um, Asperger's and different types of autism. So we have to change how we play judo uh, considering their needs. For example, they don't like being touched around their neck, et cetera. Uh, adaptive judo, of course, uh, is contested in the Special Olympics, or I mean, not Special Olympics, but the uh, Paralympics. 
Mm, so after okay. the Olympics every four years, there's a, a period uh, where they have uh, sporting events for people with disabilities. In judo, it is, uh, it's blind judo, basically. So they don't have categories for uh, judoka who have missing limbs or uh, emotional problems or anything like that. It's basically blind judo for the Paralympics. Okay. Other forms of adaptive judo are obviously for deaf people, um, for, uh, and this is a little bit provocative, for veterans. So when you get to be my age, you can uh, compete in judo, uh, they call veterans, and they have age categories that uh, go up every five years. So I'm just 65 now, and I am now uh, category M8. I believe they call it masters so, eight. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> okay. they have um, special rules for veterans. For example, after 60, uh, you can't do shimewaza uh, mm. because of the possible um, loosening of plaque in your carotid arteries. And you loosen up plaque, it gets into little bits, goes to your brain, it goes to your lungs and it'll kill you. Mm -hmm. So, Adaptive judo is all about changing the rules slightly so that everyone can participate. And okay. of course, the IJF just rolled out their uh, their year with their theme of inclusion. Mm -hmm. So this is what it's all about, including everyone that we can. And we have the patience and the foresight to uh, develop programs for, for people with disabilities uh it's a better world and you know of course we're talking jita qa uh mutual welfare so um it's very very important that we provide these benefits to all people whether they have regular vision or they're blind completely blind or somewhere in between so how did this partnership between Pasadena Judo and uh, Hollywood Pal come about for this blind judo program for these clinics? Well, again, uh, Michael Verdugo, the um, sensei, the, the head instructor of uh, Pasadena Kodokan Judo is uh, very familiar with people with disabilities. Uh, Mike is, um, he lives the uh, Jita Kyoye uh mutual welfare uh, uh, maxim of judo. He wants everyone to participate and he's extremely gifted uh, in intellect, in uh, just his dedication to it. So uh, Mike grew up with someone who was deaf apparently, mm -hmm. and he uh, is fluent in American Sign Language. So he had an idea to really serve the adaptive judo community. And he teamed up with a judoka um, who is uh, visually impaired, uh, and we call it visually impaired or VI judo sometimes, um, because most of the participants are not completely blind. But uh, Rolando Romero is a black belt competitor. And he recently um, competed in the Texas tournaments, both the President's Cup and the Dallas Open. So he completed he competed in both the VI categories 
and uh, regular sided categories, which is possible. Okay. As long as some uh, adaption is made to the rules and the refereeing mm-hmm. of the program. So Rolando is the founder and president of uh, Sports and Recreation for the Blind. Mm-hmm. And he uh, also facilitates other sports for blind individuals as well, like goal ball, and they have recreational activities. Uh, they have uh, blind soccer and things like that. So interesting. Uh, he's doing a tremendous job in reaching out. And I don't know how he contacts all these people, but it's it's great fun when we convene one of these clinics. We have little kids, we have adults, we have um, housewives who come and they, they just love the exercise. Okay. Now at the clinic, it's a blind judo clinic. Like you said, you had beginners and people have been there before. What do you guys do at the clinic? Like, do you teach the rules? Like what's, what's a throw? What's the first throw you guys teach them actually? That's actually very interesting. Well, as, as any uh, novice judo uh, athlete, we have to teach them how to fall first. Mm-hmm. That, that's a tremendous uh, accomplishment for them. Uh, being especially totally blind, it's scary to not know what's going on. Oh, yeah. Especially, especially with your body. So we have to take care to have a great orientation in the dojo. So mm-hmm. they are first given a, a tour of the facility where they can touch things, where they can space things out in their head. Mm-hmm. We always have uh, an auditory um, signal that's given out that stays in one place. So in other words, we'll set up a boom box at the front of the, the dojo mm-hmm. so that they can hear that while they're playing and spatially orient themselves. Uh I like to use a metronome, which is a small electronic device device giving out a tick, 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 tick sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I think Rolando loves to bring his boom box and, and have something <laughs> that keeps the mood up, up a beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we take a lot of care in teaching him how to fall. Mm-hmm. And then we uh, start teaching them a, a simple throw. So it would be like Ogoshi. Okay. Um, we do uh, Osotogari as well. And we bring out the crash mat and we'll have them throw us. We'll have them throw each other. And the last event we did uh, through the Angel Cities organization, we let them go with just some light rondori with, with the, the staff members. And that was okay. really fun. As in any ad- adaptive sports program, their joy is to be just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. So when they come off the mat after just played playing with with another person, a new sport, they're very very happy, and it does a lot for their f- self esteem, as you can okay. imagine. I think right, the metronome great. idea is great because I, I had a discussion with someone before about um, playing music potentially in the dojo for blind students. And they're like, well, I, that might distract other people or the dojo is really traditional and it might not be OK. And I think the metronome is a really good alternative to playing music. I agree. That's my preference as well, uh, because there uh, is just a constant noise uh, that it's like white noise for everyone else. Mm-hmm. But it's really essential for judoka to 
have some spatial orientation in the in the dojo and on on the tatami um you know without spatial orientation uh you would be scared whether it was a a sighted player wearing a blindfold or someone who's completely blind uh not knowing if you might hit a wall not not knowing if you might hit another person um that orientation and it's very crucial so yeah i i prefer the metronome as well okay all right anthony do you have any questions you want to ask i know you have some things no i think um that's really good but how if uh i trained with a, a blind athlete before actually at my old club and we didn't have any music playing but um there was a, a helper uh some like a student that was basically helping her out the whole time. I also trained with a guy that didn't have an arm and he kicked my butt because um, this is when I was a white belt. But um, if someone wants to, like let's say the club wants to get in on this program and help like volunteer or learn more about how to run classes, um, how would they get in contact with you or how, how would they get started? What let's, let's start with if they're within the Los Angeles area, which is where we are now. Okay, um, that sort of support is really essential uh, because again, we have um, clubs that have an interest, but they don't know the first thing. There was a book written about blind judo uh, called Judo and Blindness by uh, an author in Italy. And unfortunately it's out of print. And to find a copy of that on Amazon used copy, you're going to run like $150 minimum. So I got a copy of that and I'm trying to uh, publish a booklet, which would be a primer on all types of adaptive judo. Um, in Nanka, the Southern California Black Belt Association, most of the people know Michael Verdugo with Pasadena Kodokan Judo, they can contact him, certainly. Uh, anyone can contact me directly. Probably email is the best and my- Yeah, I'll put the, I'll put your information in the YouTube description and show notes so people can can link it. So yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I'm available to travel. So uh, I referred an athlete who is a, a, a Paralympics, uh, track athlete. His name is David Brown, and he is uh, the fastest visually impaired athlete in the world. He has the world's record for the 100 meter uh, dash, and he came to one of our clinics, and he and his wife really wanted to get involved. So I referred him to his local dojo in Chula Vista. Mm -hmm. And you, know, you can just look up what uh, uh, dojos are in certain cities and areas. And the people down in Chula Vista were wonderful. I think it's called uh, Mikoto or Miyoto uh, Judo Dojo. And I called them, I sent them my um, my first draft of, of my primer to adaptive judo for uh, blind judoka. And they were, they were thrilled. Mm -hmm. So we're going to, I'm going to go down to Chula Vista and uh, meet up with uh, uh, our our athlete and the staff and try and make it happen. One of the things was really good that you said, and that was that a an adaptive student um, beat you. You know, uh, this is possible. 
um, we call uh, these sort of matches or competitions united matches in that it pairs someone with a disability with a typical player with no physical disability. And as long as we have rules that can even the playing field uh, to make it happen, uh, it's it's really great for everyone involved. Um, so we have to have the wherewithal in the judo community that the referees know what's going on. They know how to uh, referee a blind judo match and that the other players are going to understand that if they are a typical judo player and they are uh, competing against a visually impaired judoka, the referee is going to call mate every time the uh, grip is lost. They have to have full uh, and regulation kumikata, because if you're blind and you lose both hands grip, what are you going to do? You can't go back to your your partner or your opponent. You don't know where he is. And that's not really sporting, is it? So um, there are certain rules and regulations that we can go over that will tell you all the differences when you're playing against a visually impaired judoka. Uh, again, to have them integrated in competition as well as in uh, their training with the regular sighted uh, population of the dojo is ideal because when you are watching, especially at the higher level, the blind judoka doing Nawaza, you can't tell that no. they're vision impaired at all. One, one of my favorite matches is um, there was a Paralympic match in London, I believe, or yeah, I believe it was London. It was Japan versus Bulgaria. And the Bulgarian guy just kept doing flying arm bars. And I was just freaking amazed at how how he's doing it. And and the, the Japanese guy was like defending it the whole time. It was an amazing match. I'll link it in the show notes. It's one of my favorite Paralympic matches ever. Um, since you brought up refereeing, um, how how many referees do you think? Uh, let's just start with Nanka, right? How, how many referees do you think in Nanka in the L.A. area, Southern California, are actually able to referee um, these blind adaptive judo matches and whether in the clinic you guys plan to in the future train more referees or volunteers and how to ref at the, the rule the different rule changes basically okay well um it's hard to know how many referees have experience i was recently at the fresno state collegiate tournament up here in fresno and um I wasn't sure that anyone would know how to referee uh, a uh, match with a blind student. And I knew that there was a blind uh, competitor. So uh, I went to the head referee and I told him what was going to happen. And luckily he had uh, experience in the past, but in the in the far past. So uh, he wasn't up with every little detail and I gave him my primer and he did great. And as a matter of fact, for uh, the blind uh, competitor second match, we got one of the other referees, a local referee up here in Fresno to referee uh, his match and he did great. So, you know, it's, it's just not that hard. It's um, unfortunately uh, not common. So uh, referees need training. Uh, I know there was an effort a couple of months ago to have 
a uh, clinic for referees that included the blind uh, competitors and the rules that we needed to do. Uh, but that fell through, unfortunately. The blind uh, Shi'i regulations are made by an organization called IBSA, stands for uh, International Blind Sports Federation. They used to be an association, so it's IBSA. But they get together with uh, the IJF, and they are the one, the gov governing body for blind judo, whether it's in the Paralympics or in other competitions. Uh, as just with the IJF rules, uh, it's it's mostly that, um, unless it comes to uh, a particular detail that makes it uh, impossible for a blind uh, athlete to adhere to. Uh, and again, rules sort of loosen up on a local local level. So when you talk about an international tournament uh, like the one in London or the recent uh, world championship, which was held in Baku, uh, Azerbaijan, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, um, they are subjected, the, the judoka are subjected to the highest scrutiny as far as their disability is concerned. So they have a confirmation period of a couple of days before the tournament where they have to bring in documentation uh, from their physicians and they may go through cursory examinations by the, the staff that does the confirmation, which are optometrists and ophthalmologists. Yep. Sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to give a shout out to one of our previous guests, Liana, who actually medaled bronze at the that tournament you're talking about. And I think it's a, a historic first for American para, Paralympic. Um, and if you guys also check out that interview, she she did mention how cheating was very ramp, rampant in the Paralympic uh, judo. So that's why they're tightening the the requirements as you're you're just saying so yes as a matter of fact they uh increase the scrutiny for blind judoka for blind sports in general they usually categorized athlete athletes into three categories b1 b2 and b3 depending on the amount of vision that was usable for them b1 was for those athletes who were mm, totally blind basically they had no usable vision uh, that being said, 80% uh, of people with vision impairments have usable vision. It's just depending on the amount that they have. So B1, B2, B3, B3 being the people that were really functional. And uh, the IJF and, and uh, IPSA did a study took a couple of years where they changed the requirements. So in judo, they never, they no longer do the B1, B2, B3, they do J1 and J2, which means they uh, increase the standards. And now a lot of the B3 athletes who were in the last Paralympics will no longer be eligible to compete in international competition because they don't make the J2 standard. If I remember correctly, they also combined some weight classes, right? Because there just wasn't enough competitors, I assume. So they are trying to make it a little bit more competitive in each weight category. Yes, there are fewer uh, weight categories, especially for the women. Um, 
but it's the competitive aspect that you're right about. They, they need people to compete. So especially on the local level, uh, and we see it in, in regular sided competitors, sometimes they'll, they'll combine categories, et cetera, just so that someone will have uh, an opponent out there for an exhibition match or uh, for a particular category. Yeah, there were a few a few years ago. I went to President's Cup. I, th I think it was President's Cup, um, where they had uh, adaptive athletes, like blind athletes, fight regular athletes, and the only difference is they had told the told them to start with the grips, like right. the whole time. That was the only time. It was amazing to watch how a normal judo match can happen between someone who's blind and someone who isn't. And um, yeah, it's just amazing. Um, so. To add on to my previous question, if people are outside of Los Angeles and they're not part of Nanka or whatever, um, let's just say they're in the middle of a small dojo somewhere in Ohio or something or Wyoming, how would they would they be still be able to um, get in contact with you for help? Or is there Absolutely. another association they can actually contact? There are they are welcome to contact me, but there are other organizations for um, blind judo. The first clinic I attended was also attended by uh, Heidi Moore, who was a coach uh, at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. And uh, I think she was brought in by the uh, American Association of Blinds blind athletes or something like that and so they are uh, a great organization and they they can they can help with all adaptive sports in general but if you contact them uh, they will direct you probably to Heidi Moore who is his coach and uh, get you some feet on the ground as far as uh, who to, who to turn to, but I think the reason why I chose my focus is the resources just aren't available out there. There's, there's no book other than this, this book I told you about Judah and blindness, uh, that deals specifically with blind judo. There's also a, a new, a book, or an updated version called the medical care of the judoka that gives some descriptions of uh, health challenges to different segments of the judo community. Uh, but that doesn't give out the rules or anything like that. So IPSA is uh, really the organization that you would want to turn to, to uh, familiarize yourself with rules and things like that. Otherwise just Google, um, training tips for blind judo and you'll get a bunch of people who post it online yeah so i think it was last year i got a phone call um or i was answering a dojo phone and i go i got a phone call for someone who was blind that wanted to try out judo and um long story short he had a lot of questions a lot of concerns uh, a lot of worries about whether he'd be holding people back, whether we'd be patient with them uh, about injuries. And um, I answered them all. And ult and ultimately, he said he was going to show up. Um, he didn't in the end. I don't know what happened to him. But I during that period where I thought he was going to show up, like you said, I, I tried to do a lot of research on 
how to basically teach the student. And like you said, there is there really isn't that many resources out there. So I'm, I'm really hoping that something would grow out of this and maybe there would be more document documents and videos and classes and workshops available for um, more instructors to get involved with this. Um, to add on to what I just mentioned, um, if someone's listening to this or someone has a friend that is curious, but they had the same worries and concerns, um, what would you say to them to convince them to try out judo? Well, we see judo uh, benefiting many people, whether they're sighted or have disabilities. Um, one of the reasons for that is because of the big judo aspect where we also have our maxims and we also have our spiritual values. So judo is really unique in that that's an integral part of our discipline. And we see judo benefiting regular physically able kids who are perhaps in trouble in society. You know, the at risk kids who are in gang territory or something, this sort of discipline and spirituality does them worlds of goods and turns around lives. We see a major program for the developmentally disabled, uh, disabled community. Uh, Riverside Youth Judo has the largest special needs program in the country. And they recently had uh, a tournament uh, where we had uh, competitors from all over the, the nation show up in Riverside and compete. And the amount of uh, satisfaction with those people, and they were of all ages again, was tremendous. But the thing that you don't really appreciate is that you got these people integrated with the regular dojo community as training assistants, as uh, partners in their United tournaments with them. So we did have some people uh, who were regular, uh, not disabled competitors go up and do matches with the special needs uh, athletes. And that was really wonderful. So judo has two major benefits. One is that it provides exercise. It provides good exercise, cardiovascular exercise, strengthening exercise. And it provides uh, some sort of uh, reward for the self, reward, reward for the spirit. So when you have the self-esteem of accomplishing something, whether you win or you lose, uh, that's a great benefit to you spiritually. And Riverside also did some adaptive judo called mom judo, where it was literally what it sounds like. They invited the moms of, of younger judoka to come up on the mat. And they did a version where it was all Nawaza. Mm. Uh, and it was, it was really fun to watch these ladies come off the tatami with the big smiles on their faces. They had self-esteem and they they accomplished something, whether they won or they lost, they had a great time. So these sort of benefits should happen for everyone out in society. If we're gonna be an inclusive society, we should extend these benefits to people who can't hear, people who can't see, people who can't think on the level that others can. Um, moms who don't have the ability to uh, 
train because they're always looking after their kid. Uh, people like me who are older, who uh, still in our dreams are pulling off that uh, you Wanagi, like, you know, no one's business. But, you know, when you get older, uh, things just don't work like they used to. So it's it's a sport that has benefits to everyone. And we just need to get it out there. So you guys are having an event on, uh, so it's going to be December 3rd. Now I wanted, I was wondering like, how'd you guys come with a date? Because if you're in the LA area, that's the winter nationals right there. How'd you guys yeah. decide you want know what? I want to go up against winter nationals. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand completely about that. I was, I was set to, uh, uh, be at all three days of the winter nationals. They're having on Friday night, the second, a uh, coach and referee clinic. Uh, then Saturday they start competition and it runs all the way through Sunday. Uh, however, uh, the dates are determined by, I think, uh, Rolando and the um, Sports and Recreation for the Blind. Mm-hmm. And that's the date he chose. Um, and uh, yes, I would like to have some separation where they do it on a weekend that's not a major tournament. Um, and hopefully we can in, in the future. But I think um, when we do that, we'd really like to see judoka out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd like to see yes. people from the community out there, whether they're visually impaired or not. One of the uh, greatest thing about the uh, event that we had uh, at El Camino College uh, with the Angel Cities people is that they asked for volunteers to be sighted guides for the judoka. So when they were doing a exercise, even just running around them, the tatami, they had someone guiding them mm-hmm. so that they could run around and not crash into a wall. And I think that's yes. <laughs> ideal when you have a one-to-one ratio of a, of a athlete and a guide that makes it a little bit easier on everyone. Um, and the, believe me, the, the, uh, volunteers for guides were so wonderful. They were mostly physical therapists and even physicians that were out there to, to do their part for adaptive sports. And the, uh, blind judo that I, I mentioned before, who's down at Chula Vista, uh, David Brown, he, uh, showed up at the event because it was an event for all adaptive uh, blind sports. And he was going to be a coach for the blind track and field, but they had a lot of people there. So he decided, well, they really don't need me. I'm going to go try blind judo. So he showed up and, oh, he was a fantastic athlete. Uh, really, really marvelous. Now he is officially on the blind uh, soccer team for the US. So he's just a magnificent physical specimen. And we can see if we adapt things just a little bit uh, for some some of the details, like I said, you you can't tell the difference in 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 blind judoka doing Nawaza with regularly sighted uh, judoka. It is uh, something that's tactile. They need their opponent close to them. Uh, standing doing Tachiwaza, it, it, you can tell a little bit, especially because the ref is going to stop the mat, the match, uh, call mate whenever they lose, lose their grip. So you can tell. You can also tell 
the judoka that are completely blind in the J1 category by this. And I'll show you my red patch on my arm. So this signifies someone in the J1 category that has no usable vision. It also has uh, bearing on the international matches where on your back patch, you would wear uh, the red circle on your back patch. So uh, in competitions where they don't uh, use a back patch, obviously they, they have the one on their sleeve and it should indicate to everyone in attendance, not just um, the uh, competitors, but also the referees and uh, people in the audience that that person is completely blind and will probably uh, need assistance. Now, what I see is a typical societal needs as far as approaching, befriending, having blind people in the community. Um, you know, these people are just like everyone else. They they want to have friends. They want to be comfortable and uh, you introduce yourself to them and they'll be your best friend. So uh, if we can help people out in society, we're going to make good friends. And I find that they're extremely appreciative and they want to be they want to be just like everyone else. So getting that into our society is is wonderful. And again, it's because of the big judo maxim of uh, mutual benefit. Well, Anthony, do you have any more questions you want to ask or? No. So I guess the to summarize, if you guys are free and not going to compete in the Winter Nationals or in the area and you're interested, even if you don't do judo, am I correct that they can volunteer and just show up just to help out or check, check it out? Absolutely. Uh, uh, as I said, we're going to try and schedule these uh, in the future uh, not to conflict with uh, big judo events. Um, but we do need guides. So if, if they want to show up, they can uh, go on um, Facebook and uh, Sports and Recreation for the Blind has uh, a page so they can like that page and they'll get updates whenever our next clinics will be held. Okay. So. Uh, with that, again, this is going to be held at the Hollywood Pal Dojo, and I believe that's on Sunset in Hollywood. It's going to be. Let's just clarify: it's not our Hollywood. Yeah, it's not Hollywood Tudo Dojo. <laughs> no, actually, uh, Hollywood Pal has a couple different facilities. Oh, the okay. The Tommy Room, the Dojo, is at sixty four eleven Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah. Yeah. Sixty four eleven Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah. One over. <laughs> That's officially in Los Angeles, nine zero zero two eight. And what's it? What are the times again? So people can hear nine a.m. to noon, nine a.m. to noon, December 3rd. Right. And just like any other athletic event, bring uh, a water bottle, bring uh, snacks. We usually have them uh, wear something comfortable. Uh, we will have uh, an opportunity. We have a bunch of extra judo gi jackets. And hopefully at the end, we'll be able to put on the jackets. Uh, if time allows, we'll have them do some simple newaza as well. So we compact a lot of judo in these few hours, and it's really, really fun. Mm -hmm. So uh, anyone that uh, is interested, please contact me, contact uh, Rolando at Sports and Recreation for the Blind. Of course, our big main uh, 
inspiration is Michael Verdugo, who's an outstanding man in all respects. He uh, can get you to a team. He can get you information. He can get you connected with me. We're all there to help. And with that, I'd like to thank you for being on the show, Eduardo. It was great having you here. Um, again, if you guys have any questions, please contact him. You can contact us. Uh, we'll put the stuff out there. It'll be in the details of our show notes on the YouTube channel. And with that, um, please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this. If you have any questions, you hit us up at tatomitalk at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at tatomitalk. You can follow us at YouTube at tatomitalk. You have any questions for me, any questions for Anthony, you can follow me at the Jerry underscore Juan on Instagram. You follow Anthony at Anthony Thrills on Instagram. And with that, we always end the show going like, don't forget to slap the mat. So I'm going to say, don't forget to, and you guys are going to say slap the mat. All right? All right. All right. So don't forget to slap, slap the mat. The mat. <laughs>